0: When I was growing up in Hollywood, going to you know college, the late '80s, early '90s, all of Hollywood Boulevard was just one movie theater after another. The Vogue, you know, the Chinese, and of course the El Capitan are still there. But you had movie theaters like every block. Um, mm-hmm. Even the, the the old Warner uh, Theater, which was um, Pacific Theater, that was open then. This yeah. was before ArcLight. But so I I loved movies and I wanted to be near movie theaters so I could just w- literally walk down to many of them from where I was living.
1: Hello, and welcome to Here in LA, Beverly Crest Edition. Today, we talk with Paul Haddad, who's a writer, a producer, and exactly the guy that you want to ask about hiking or freeways. Yes, Paul wrote one of the most popular LA hiking books, 10,000 Steps a Day in LA. And he's also written about LA's freeways. We'll talk about both of those things, relax. We'll also get into what it was like growing up in Mayberry RFD, which is the lake that Andy Griffith shot that iconic opening with little bitty Ron Howard. That's actually right next to Beverly Crest, way up in the Beverly Hills Hills. And weirdly, Paul helped discover Ms. Brooke Burke for E's long running Wild On series. Oh my God. We'll talk about how he traveled the world with her, and a very small crew, and even Artman. Join us, won't you? Hey everybody, I'm here with Paul Haddad in a beautiful home with air conditioning. I feel like I'm at the Four Seasons. I'll take whatever creature comforts we can get. Thank you for having me here. This is really nice of you to be here. Uh, people might know you on Twitter as L.A. Nerd. L.A. Dork. L.A. Dork. Yes. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah. L.A. Dork. L.A. Dork out. <laughs> How long have you been the L.A. Dork? A couple, maybe three years. Two oh, years. that's all? Yeah, not not that long. And it just seemed like an obvious outlet for me to nerd out on L.A. You, and, that's,
1: and that's the reason I'm attracted to what you do on Twitter, Um, Obviously, I love L.A. too, and I I think what happens is the older you get, the more curious you are about stuff. You don't take things for granted any longer, or you take it less for granted, and when somebody like you comes around and is like, hey, did you know blah, 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 I'm like, actually, I did not know that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and I found, having grown up here my whole life, and I'm now in my 50s, people will often turn to me to say, hey, where's a cool hike I can do when it's really hot, or it's sort of shady, or what's off the beaten path where I've never been before, and I would take some friends from out of town. And so I I figured, after a while, that's kind of capital, right? That's that's something that I can bring to the table that uh, I want to share with the world, and that's what spawned it.
1: Uh, You have written books about hiking.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So it also inspired 10,000 Steps a Day in L.A., 57 Walking Adventures. And so it's a book that came out a couple years ago. My publisher and I, we put out a second edition a couple years ago. And the initial book was 52 Walking Adventures. (laughs) One for each weekend of the year. You know, I like that nice number, 52.
1: Um, Growing up in Illinois like I did, we never thought about hiking. Uh, When did you start Was this something that was always an L.A. thing, to take a hike? Did teens take hikes?
0: Yeah, well, and if you wanted to insult someone, you'd say, take a hike. Right. Right, no one really hiked. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, like, uh, for me, I grew up in the, kind of near Mulholland Drive in the Santa Monica Mountains, and and we would hike as kids. We would disappear. We were the latchkey generation, just be back by dinner time, and we'd form our own little, like, trails and— clubhouses up in the hills and see deer and coyote and and things like that um but then it did become more uh in vogue in the 80s and 90s that's when runyon canyon opened and uh people are more outdoorsy now and walkability is a big thing now when it whereas it wasn't when i was a kid because frankly we were all choking on first stage smog alerts all the time so you didn't really go outside some days in fact we were supposed to go back inside when I was in elementary school in West Hollywood in the 70s because you'd breathe in and start gagging on the smog. I've heard about this,
1: that back in the day that it was so bad that
0: you couldn't have recess. You couldn't, exactly. And and you'd be coughing like you had asthma for the rest of the day. And I I often wonder what sort of long-term damage that did on me. I mean, you know, people sometimes get lung cancer and they wonder why or how. I guess I'll be a guinea pig, you know, later in life for that generation. You look, you look great. Do you wake <laughs> up
1: coughing in the morning?
0: I don't. Then you're fine. So far, I'm alright. Yeah.
1: Um, okay. So where did you grow
0: up? So yeah, I grew up in an area that not many people know of, or if they if they've heard of it, they don't know where it is. It's called Beverly Crest. Okay. Only reason I know
1: that is because I was an Uber driver part time for five years, and I was kind of a bad Uber driver in that I just went wherever they told me to go. Uh, Recently, I interviewed a guy from Granada Hills who's Mm -hmm. like, no wonder you didn't make any money. But anyways, a couple of the people took me up to Beverly Crest. And I had thought that I had seen some big ass houses. I thought I had understood what um, gated communities were. I didn't know anything until I went to Beverly Crest. Was it like that when you grew up there?
0: No, it wasn't. Yeah, because we lived off Coldwater Canyon. And it's that area that's just north of Beverly Hills, just south of Studio City. So it's bounded kind of like by um, Heather Drive on Coldwater up to like Mohon, okay? And then the eastern part is kind of like the east, east of Beverly Crest is Truesdale Estates. And then west of it is like Franklin Canyon. And that area where Franklin Canyon is, there is now a big development that started in the 80s, Beverly, Beverly Park. And that's where Sylvester Stallone lives, Magic Johnson, Mark Wahlberg, a lot of big celebrities. Oh, live that,
1: there. that crazy Mark Wahlberg house is up there? Yeah,
0: the crazy Wahlberg house. There's wow. a, a housewife, a famous housewife who lives there <laughs> for the show, is. you know. Um,
1: but I, I guess, did see the Wahlberg. Like, that's giant.
0: Yeah. Well, you know that they have written in their, um, I guess, in the titles for the houses, they have to be minimum 5,000 square feet. Minimum five thousand square feet. The average one up there is twenty thousand, wow, and it is yeah, it's a you know the largest one of the the most uh, affluent gated communities in all of Los Angeles. When I was a kid, we would I had a mini bike, we'd we'd ride over the hills to that area before it was Beverly Park, and that was swampland. Really? Yes, and undeveloped, it was a, undeveloped, and it was the, one of the last meadows in the Santa Monica Mountains. So around springtime, when everything's really green here, you had acres and acres. This sounds like the 30s or something, but it was right. the 70s. You had acres of green grassland, you know, grassland and meadowland in the Santa Monica Mountains where Beverly Park is now. And I think the last area with a, a, a natural meadow is La Jolla Valley, which is near Oxnard. It's the western end of the Santa Monica Mountains. And I've camped there. And it's, that's exactly what this section was like when I was a kid.
1: In all the best
0: ways, you are the LA nerd. Yeah, I actually wanted that Twitter handle, but it was taken. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, that's why I became the dork.
1: I'm sorry. I keep calling you the nerd. No, no,
0: but I wanted LA nerd, and uh, so dork, I'm like, yeah, dork's more of my generation anyway, so. We got to figure out a way that we can, is 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 LA nerd even doing
1: anything? Probably not. Yeah, yeah. I hate, I hate when they them. just take the names and don't do anything. I know, they just sit on it. Yeah, we got to change that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so were you surprised when this beautiful meadow turned
0: into- I was disheartened. I was not surprised because at one point I remember growing up and we went up to Mohan drive where we had these great views and much of Mohan was very uh, wild too. And then that became summit Ridge where Britney Spears lived or lives and uh, Ed McMahon lived up there. And a lot of like celebrities started moving to summit Ridge. That was another development that went in, in like the eighties and nineties off Mohan. And so when we went up there just to look at the view we noticed he started subdividing that area that is now Beverly Park. And I knew its days were numbered as a kind of a little nature reserve. So I was really bummed out about that. Yeah. And, but the, on the flip side, the good news was Franklin Canyon, which people love going to, the reservoir, mm-hmm. uh, that was closed to us when we were kids. That was mm. and is still owned, I think, by the Department of Water and Power. They lease it out now. But it was closed to the public till 1988. Then they opened it up. So now you get to experience the reservoir and, and all the hiking trails around there. And that was shut off to us as kids because that was an active reservoir right? at the time. So they didn't want people like fouling <laughs> it up and everything. They would just let you know, movie studios shoot there and, right. on Golden Palm and you know, things like oh, that. Oh, really?
1: That was shot there?
0: That was the shot there. It happened one night. I'm mean, going back to the 30s. It happened when night was up yeah, there? Yeah, that, that was there. Uh, of course, the beginning of the Andy Griffith Show with the whistling. The, what? That's Franklin Canyon. I had no idea. Yeah, people recreate that shot. Those trees are still there where they're whistling wow. and throwing rocks, little and Opie. Mayberry. And... Yeah. You grew up in Mayberry. I grew up in Mayberry, or close to it.
1: Wow.
0: But it was hands-off at the time. Now it's open, everybody. You guys
1: never snuck in as kids?
0: I did one time. <laughs> <laughs> of course you know I did. Yeah, because we would, um, my hang to drink beer and listen to Pink Floyd on the hood of my Toyota Celica uh, was Franklin Canyon. And so, like, we're talking 1983, 84. I was in high school. So the wall, the wall, man. We would rotate between five Pink Floyd albums. <laughs> it's like The Wall, Animals, Wish You are Here, uh, Dark Side of the Moon, and Final Cut. Final Cut, not metal. Not metal, believe it or not.
1: Final Cut was just so, I prefer so metal to me. now.
0: I don't like Final Cut now, yeah. but it was newer at the time. It right. came out like in '83. We're like, oh, we got to work this into the rotation. And it was kind of like uh, the
1: the. the... The part two of the
0: wall. Yeah, it kinda was. Yeah. But Roger Waters took over by that point and yeah. he's no fun. I don't know. He but, isn't any fun. Yeah, he's no fun. But he gave us the wall. He did. <laughs> and so after a few <laughs> listenings of some, you know, Floyd, we would then scale the fence and and just to touch the water was like taboo, but that was a big deal. Like, oh my God, I just touched the lake. <laughs> we never got the urge to go in. Uh we were too scared. Um, but it was hard to get over the fence too. We only did that like one time otherwise we were just parked on Franklin Canyon. What high school did you go to when you I went to Brentwood. There? It was a private school that's still there oh, off Sunset. Off of Sunset. Like sunset in what? It's Sunset in Barrington. It's kind oh, of Oh, like West LA. Yeah, I I grew up in West LA. So mostly. But so not uni high? My brother went to uni. Did you, I are, didn't go because I guess my parents wanted me to get a good education. Uni was a public school. My brother was totally down with that. Uh, my grades were a little better at elementary school, so I did the uh, SS18. I got into Brentwood, so they figured, and I, I figured, yeah, why not? Let's give it a shot.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Was, was uni a bad school back then? It's
0: just, uh, it's just L.A. Horrible. high school. I mean, right. um, it is what you make of it. Both of my kids go to a public high school now. Good. Uh, so I'm I'm very proud of that, you know, and, and yeah. it is what you make of it, and and so um, no, there's a lot of I mean, God, J.J. Abrams, tons of great people right. came out of Uni, right? Yeah. Um, now it just was it was what it was, I guess, you know.
1: I uh, let's actually, I worked at Licorice Pizza over by uh, Uni. No. Did you go to that Licorice Pizza? Uh,
0: I would. Sometimes go to the one on San Vicente and Sunset because that was a block from my elementary school. Right, and, um, and then afterwards is when it opened. Actually, I think, but I would still go to that one. Yeah. I didn't go to the one near Uni very much. Sometimes
1: right. it wasn't that big of a store. Yeah, uh, it it was really just for the locals. I mean, it was it. It's strangely it's been a um, like an exercise machine store ever since. You I know, know like,
0: exactly like where you're talking Peloton about Peloton type stuff. Yes. Uh,
1: and you know it's
0: it's i guess that's la (laughs) everybody's worried about how they look do you remember when they opened a a licorice pizza storefront right before the movie came out on ventura boulevard still there it is yeah
1: wow yeah i i I have i don't know much about the valley which is one reason i'm doing this yeah um i have a feeling it was already a record store and they just got in cahoots with uh, the studio oh, to put that front possible. on it, which is kind of genius. Yeah. Because it'll track a lot more people to it. That's um, but But don't quote me, as okay. they say. What is a hike? Since you're the, the, the author of this great book, What's what's a little-known hike in L.A. That, um, that people should be taking more use of?
0: Well, let me think. There are so many. First of all, I always like hikes where you can hike to a destination. You know, like a waterfall, uh, an old ruin of some sort, um, a cave, right? So um, there are these caves that are... If you want to go a little outside of L.A. in Amundsen Ranch, there are, there are some hikes in, um, I think it's El Scorpio. El Scorpion Park is the trailhead to hike to a few caves there mm-hmm. that are these old uh, Chumash Indian caves. Um, more locally, I live near Griffith Park. I For some reason, I didn't know about this one place, but I'm going to do the hike next week. Uh, there's an old abandoned swimming pool in the middle of Griffith Park. Oh. And you have to really hike to it. It's not close to any well-known hiking trails mm-hmm. and you i think the trailhead is kind of near the boys camp griffith park boys camp mm-hmm. and the pool used to be part of the camp going back to like the 20s and 30s so you're gonna bring your skateboard out there and uh <laughs> well people have they've they've uh <laughs> i've seen you know clips from tiktok and things like that but no I'm, I'm just gonna go up and um you can't go through the camp because that's private property uh there's a back way to get to it uh, if you just go on on Google Maps, and you do the overhead satellite shot, and you go above the boys camp, you can see an empty swimming pool with a lot of graffiti in the middle of nowhere.
1: It's incredible with technology, how much has opened up to us, and how easy it is to access things Yeah, so
0: I'm still discovering hikes in my own backyard. And I thought I knew, every day I think I know LA, and there's always new places to go. Uh,
1: Let's talk a little bit more about Beverly Crest, though. Sure. Um, Right now, if people, well, okay, you can't get to Mark Wahlberg's house. You can't get to <laughs> this, uh, Sylvester Stallone's house. Even when I was an Uber guy, they they would call first if I was picking up somebody from up there. They would call first and really wait. Like it's it's super secure up there. Are there any publicly accessible places in Beverly Crest right now that people can just drive to and like hang out in?
0: Well, Franklin Canyon. That okay. w- th- that would be for sure the the most accessible spot. That is in Beverly Crest that there, most people go to. There's public parking, tons of public, public parking, oh, good. and then if you continue driving south, so if you're if any listeners are familiar with uh, Franklin Canyon, that's the upper reservoir that William Mohan built in the 19 teens, mm-hmm. right? There was a lower Franklin Canyon reservoir which you can also drive to. Um, which is also technically part of Beverly Crest. I mean, it's, it's an unincorporated part of L.A., so I think we're getting into county land. But right. if you go drive over the dam of Upper Franklin Canyon, the current Franklin Canyon Reservoir, and then you make a right, you can take a road called Lake Road that goes like one mile south, and then you get to this old ranch house, which used to be um, Edward Doheny's ranch, the oil magnate. Mm-hmm. Doheny Drive, Doheny Beach, yep. same guy. Uh And this was just his hunting land. (laughs) And the house is still there. Um, It's got really nice grass. Uh, The house is a private residence now. And then there's a gate that opens onto the lower reservoir. But that's closed to the public. But there's nice hikes around there. Hastjen Trail is one of them. Um, we just went there for Mother's Day with my mom Ah. because it's, there's a lot of like old sycamore trees and oak trees and it's just, it's not as crowded as the upper reservoir. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And then, like I said, there's a gate before you get to the lower reservoir, which used to be its own outdoor lake. And then they drained it in the seventies because they're worried that the dam would flood Beverly Hills if there was another earthquake. So now it's all covered and it's much smaller than it used to be. And where the lake used to be is now a flood control basin. That would be a spectacle, wouldn't it? It was. We hiked it when, when I was a kid. We but I'm we saying if, like if, if Beverly Hills oh, got, it flooded. got flooded, there's a movie right there. Yeah, yeah. Earthquake too, maybe. There well, not- an earthquake. It was Lake Hollywood, and Hollywood got flooded. So,
1: um, again, this is this is this is why they shoot all the movies and TV shows in LA, yeah. because you can have, you can pretend to be Mayberry. You can have all these old old trees that aren't palm yeah. trees. You can have meadows, and you're you're minutes away from Hollywood.
0: Yeah. Um, I think one appeal of Franklin Canyon to a lot of producers I've read is that you could turn the camera 360 degrees and anywhere you look, it's still scenic. You don't see power lines because it's kind of down in that canyon, right? It's like in a glen. So uh, it really does feel like you're somewhere else no matter where you point the camera mm-hmm. uh, if, you, if you're in the right spot.
1: Uh, also... Um And I don't know if you felt this way when you grew up in uh, Beverly Crest, but Beverly Hills proper Mm -hmm. is kind of hard to get to. It's not near any freeways. Right. You also wrote a book about freeways. Yeah. And we'll we'll talk about that in a minute. But I think on purpose they didn't want a freeway in Beverly Hills, but it kind of worked against them in, in the long scheme. Whereas Beverly Crest, you just go down the hill and you're on the 101. Yeah, so you're actually more accessible to things. Yes, being further away from Beverly Hills.
0: That's yet a good you were on top of it. That's a good point. Uh, Beverly Hills. I mean, uh, some some people might be familiar with the term Beverly Hills adjacent yes. or Beverly Hills Post Office. Yeah. So we Where, got where's to, the post office. So, well, okay. The reason they call it Beverly Hills Post Office is we got to enjoy. Some of the creature comforts of Brentwood, but we, excuse me, of Beverly Hills growing up. So their fire department would come to us. Their post office would deliver mail to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to use their library, but there were certain things that were exclusionary to us. Like th- if we were true residents living in the city limits, uh, we got to check out books longer at the library than <sighs> us. It was like three weeks for us, six weeks for anyone else. Huh. I couldn't go to Beverly High. Right. Uh, but... My license, when I got my driver's license, had 90210 on it, so that gave me instant cachet. But it always felt fraudulent. It was like 90210 with an asterisk because I lived in Beverly Hills post office. So it was you felt kind of like a bastard child. I wasn't sure what I was growing up because I would we didn't even use the term Beverly Crest. We just lived in L.A. just outside Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills post office. It was a very odd. A uh, place to tell out of towners where you live. They didn't know. So
1: that's what post office means. It means yeah. you're not in Beverly Hills, but it's serviced by their. And and it was ma- before
0: carrots. the Beverly Hills adjacent f- phrase came about. They came about. That's the phrases we used as when I was a kid. With we, adjacent. Yeah, adjacent or Beverly Hills post office. That's right. usually the one we would say, Beverly I, Hills post office.
1: This this is why I'm doing this podcast. Yeah. Because in real estate, they always say post office.
0: Yes, for, they do. For that area. But th- I remember there were a couple times we needed to call the fire department. There was a rattlesnake in our yard. My mom <laughs> said, we got to call the fire department so we get chop the head off. And we called Beverly Hills Fire Department. They're like, well, we don't handle you guys. We're like, yes, you do. You've oh. been up many times. No, no, you got to call the and one. up on. Mulho- and we called them. They told us to call Beverly Hills. So you're caught in the middle sometimes of like who's handling what. Right. I mean, this is when you would just call them. You wouldn't even call 911.
1: Uh in in the the social strata of high school, even though you especially a private school kid. Yeah. Was it cool to live in Beverly Crest back then? Or was it better to be in 90210 proper?
0: Well, it was um looking back I'm glad we grew up where we did because we were truly amongst the, in the Santa Monica Mountains and you were close to nature. We could ride our bikes like on these dirt paths and make jumps. And, and you know, <laughs> we, we got to experience kind of that Mayberry lifestyle. Beverly Hills proper. You're in the flats, right? Um, you're you've got neighbors next to you. They might be far away from you because they're big houses. Um, and then you also had the residential area. So I felt like we had the best of both worlds because my brother and I would ride our bikes into Beverly Hills, the flats. And within 10, 15 minutes, we'd be pulling up. To where Ride It is now. It was a thrifty back then on Canon, and yep. and there were bookstores and great parking garages we could ride our skateboards in, and people kind of just left us alone. We were just these little like I don't know skate rats, and then we'd ride our bikes back up, put the skateboard back on the bike, ride up Coldwater Canyon, and if we could sweet talk my mom into picking us up, that was better because you started getting a hill to go back home. To steep, steep. It was way very home. steep, yeah, especially for like a ten year old.
1: Were there any arcades in Beverly Hills? back No,
0: then? no. I mean Beverly Hills, it was. More of a small town then, but it still had a very, uh, you know, exclusive cachet to it. It was high retail, was just coming into being at that point in time. Um, if we wanted an arcade, we'd have to keep going to Westwood, and Westworld Arcade was where we went. Wasn't that a great arcade? The best. Right by that movie theater, what, yeah. what is it? The Fox. The Fox, mm-hmm. the yeah, yeah. Great, great arcade that was there for
1: a long time. It was. And when uh, Licorice Pizza the movie came out, and they said we're gonna have video games, I was like, they're gonna reopen that arcade. But did you see that they they opened it to the, on the other side of the? Oh, the, I didn't know that. The movie theater. Oh, okay. It was just a few pinball machines and stuff. Oh, that's but, cool. But I think, I mean, PTA
0: clearly must have gone to that Westwood Arcade is, because
1: he's the same age as us.
0: Had to have. Had to, even yeah. though he grew up in the Valley, he, right. I'm sure, he made it his way over there at some point. Yeah. So uh, let's talk about freeways real quick.
1: Yeah. Um, do you know why there wasn't a, a freeway in Beverly Hills?
0: Yeah, the residents didn't want it. <laughs> look at you. Yeah, and so if you, you know, when you look at the rich, uh, wealthy neighborhoods in Los Angeles, there are not many freeways near Brentwood or Pacific Palisades or Bel Air I mean, yes, the 405 goes th- just west of Bel Air and Beverly Hills and West Hollywood. Yeah. And so um, you had residents who had more uh, influence on City Hall and on politics, and they were the donors who would say, not in my backyard. Right. They were the original NIMBYs. Right. And so even though Caltrans wanted to put a three, a freeway through Beverly Hills, it was... Did they? Yeah, oh yeah. Um, going back to the 50s. where, where do you, Did you see any of those maps or any of those proposals? Absolutely. They're on every freeway proposed proposal map from the 50s up through the mid 60s you'll see the beverly hills freeway routed and there is a dotted line so tell me where, where it would have gone there were three different routes one would have paralleled sunset boulevard which would have been insanity north or south west east starting from the 405 freeway and going and hooking up with the 101 the hollywood freeway at vermont Okay, so would so have been it would very have taken circuitous. over.
1: Sunset somehow.
0: It was a bad idea, right? <laughs> the other routes were paralleling Santa Monica Boulevard, and mm-hmm. much of the freeway would have been submerged. And that was to placate many of the shop owners in West Hollywood, and Beverly Hills. Caltrans said, "Look, we'll just run much of it subterranean." So, and like a tunnel, kind of. A, I mean, a the, tunnel underneath. Well, look at the Hollywood Freeway now, like from let's say Silver Lake up to. Uh, Hollywood, much of it's trenched, right, and yes. through downtown, they call it the downtown slot. Yes, uh, the 134 yes. through Glendale, and m- m- many parts of LA have a a submerged freeway. They call it a depressed freeway. I don't know why it's so sad. They just call it depressed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so it um, wants to be a taller freeway. Yeah, it wants to be a. So that's how they envision much of it. But even that wasn't going to fly. No. But there is a phantom Beverly Hills freeway. If you go down the Hollywood Freeway and you see when you get to Vermont, you notice both lanes, the north and southbound lanes separate. There's a giant median and there's like some storage in the middle there. Yeah. And th- they separated it there when they built the Hollywood Freeway in the 50s to accommodate and interchange with the Beverly Hills Freeway. So wow. that's where it would have linked up to it on the eastern terminus and it would have kept going and linked up with the current two freeway, which just is like a stub in Echo yeah. Park. So that would have connected to that Interchange. Wow. So you could have driven literally from surf to the snow if you just hopped on the two, which is what the freeway would have been. It would have been uh, State Route 2. And so if you started in West LA and you took the Beverly Hills Freeway to the Glendale Freeway, it would have kept going. And then they were going to build a freeway over Angeles Crest Highway, which is also the two. And you'd let out like in Victorville or something and you (laughs) go skiing.
1: Maybe this is only for guys like us, but I would love to see a computer simulation of Ooh. this, you know, um, just what, what, but expand it, not just the freeways, but what would those neighborhoods be like? Because I don't want a freeway on Santa Monica Boulevard and Highland. Right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's great that all that, as junky it is right now, it's, it's getting spruced up, you know, yeah. like, like it would, it would totally screw up that neighborhood.
0: Well, imagine, I mean, if you play that thought game, imagine what Boyle Heights would be like now or East L.A., which is divided by freeways and how much better those communities would be for everyone living there. Not just Mm -hmm. like health wise. Yeah. uh, But just in terms of quality of life. And and so, I Think
1: think about Frogtown. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, because when the 101 happened, uh, I I feel like Frogtown was probably hurt the worst. Yep. Because they're they're. But they might look at it as it's great because now they're kind of isolated, which is a good thing yeah. in some cases. Um, and it's their, their own little thing. Um, it wasn't,
0: you... Frogtown, uh, there are definitely communities that were more disrupted than Frogtown because west of Frogtown you have Elysian Park. So they kind of put the freeway near Elysian Park, right? Yeah. Near the LA River. So at least some of it or most of it was spared. But other communities, especially like Southeast LA and, and even like the 10, how it's this line of demarcation now between like kind of lower income communities or people of color south of the 10 and then north of 10, it's not. That's like the, a really good example. And, um, you know, it, uh, by the way, Silver Lake is such a great little community now. That would have been completely divided if they continued the two to the 101. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people fought that in the 70s. And it really galvanized the community and made it, you know, kept the charm of much of Silver Lake as we know it today. Let's go back to the 10 since you raised it. Um, In hindsight,
1: now, it seems like a perfectly good freeway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Would you have built it any differently? It would have been hard to not take a route... Other than its current route, it was mm-hmm. it was originally called the Olympic Freeway because it was going to parallel Olympic Boulevard, and the freeway is very close to Olympic. Yeah, and you have downtown, which is the central business district. Yep. And you had all these—they called them West Side Orphans then, because they were orphaned. They didn't have a freeway to get downtown. You had to take a You had to take Wilshire Boulevard, and it had like 152 stoplights just oh to go from God. Santa Monica to downtown. At when, the time. when did they build the ten? uh in the early sixties. It's one of the later freeways. Wow. So yeah, LA at that point, a lot of people were living on the west side and they were not served by freeways. So that's why Caltrans wanted to build two of them, the Beverly Hills Freeway and the Santa Monica. So you can't you can't have neither one. You got to have one or the other. Yeah. And so the Santa Monica just made the most sense because it went right to the beach. The yeah. Beverly Hills Freeway would have stopped, you know, at the 405. So it's kind of like what we're, we're what we've been discussing with subways, the MTA, like, what's the best route to the beach? And it doesn't surprise me that the Expo line, the blue line, was the first one to Santa Monica, which is always more receptive to transit options. Santa Monica has always been a more progressive city, yeah. at least of late, not always. But um, so, yeah, it made sense. And I don't know how you really would have done the route that much differently.
1: The, the most recent freeway that I know of is the 105. Yeah, is that, is, is that the, the newest one?
0: Yeah, it is. It is the most recent in the LA area for sure. It's considered the last freeway. Again, in hindsight, this seems like a no brainer. I love it now to get to the airport. It's that great <laughs> wormhole from the 110. You just like scoot on over. But it was very disruptive at the time, and and it was delayed decades. There was it was supposed to open. Uh, it was supposed to cost like $60 million in the 50s when they <laughs> first planned it. and ended up costing like $2 billion, $3 billion wow. when it opened in 1993. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that went through the whole corridor of cities like Linwood, Watts, um, Willowcrest, Hawthorne. And so- uh, there was a class action lawsuit in in the '70s that shut down the freeway for about seven years. Wow! And that giant interchange where the 110 and the 105 are, which was the beginning of La La Land
1: one one of the greatest curves in, the, yes.
0: in all of all of LA, right? And it's that's the Judge Pregerson Memorial Interchange, named after the judge who put an injunction on the freeway and told Caltrans come back when you've in dealt with all these environmental social economic concerns of these lower income communities you know that was a, a novel thing then and so mm. they had to address that and and they did um and so the freeway was less disruptive than it would have been they wanted to run it within like a few hundred yards of Watts Towers at one point Oh, it would have like destroyed it like all the shaking and everything would have yeah. uh, made them compromised you know but back then it was always uh, what's the easiest way to do this point, point a point b who cares about the people who live here yeah and that started getting addressed and that's why it was delayed for so long
1: why is the 10 the christopher columbus freeway
0: uh that was that came about i think it was in the 80s and i don't really know there's a not good... a lot of italians out here <laughs> right <laughs> it,
1: and, it, there, and it seems like there's plenty of people you could name it
0: after the reason i think what the, that it's it's called that because the 10 ends in jacksonville florida so it it's one of the longer interstates in the nation. Okay, and it crosses the inter, the United States, and so I guess because it spans the left and east the west and east coasts, yeah. uh, having Christopher Columbus affixed to that somehow made it more American to call the highway the Christopher Columbus Transcontinental but, Freeway. But, but is it called Christopher Columbus
1: any other in any other state?
0: Um, it. It never really took anywhere else. Yeah. So if you go to these other states, it's not really called that. I know <laughs> they still have the sign in Santa Monica, but I will tell you that they're trying to um, decommission that and, and take that name down. and Because it's I, not cool anymore? It's not cool anymore. And um, the I believe the board of supervisors the la board of supervisors has made a motion to take that down so i keep wondering when that's going to happen it hasn't happened yet but then the other thing that's really weird about that is you go a few more miles east of that sign on the 10 yeah so you go just past the 405 and it's the rosa parks freeway (laughs) so yeah like you know what i mean one guy who kind of like ushered in uh this wave of uh people who kind of like took over the land uh, people you know native americans and you know people lived here and and certainly um and then you have someone who's like a hero right but that's la too that dichotomy it is it's it's, in some ways it makes perfect sense
1: Let's talk about your job real quick, if that's all right with you. Sure. You're a showrunner now.
0: Well, yeah. I I eventually worked my way up to that. I started, you know, like an associate producer and a producer. I was mostly working in nonfiction. I did a documentary thesis film at USC that won like a student Emmy, and so that was my calling card for the biz. But uh, it took me a couple a couple years and a few detours, and I did an indie movie that went nowhere, and so I I, I eventually played that card. Uh, and I got a job, an entry-level job at E! Entertainment Television. What year? 1995, 96. Until when? 2000. I, I worked there in 2001. We just missed each other. We did. But then I went back. <gasps> 2003, 2005. What were you doing then? I was the director of development. And so I was kind of overseeing multiple shows. Did you, did you, like what? Did you, Anna Nicole? I didn't oversee that. Girls one. next door? No, those were more reality shows, and that I was more documentary. In fact, that's why I eventually left E for good. Yeah, because I wanted to do true documentaries. I wanted to work on, you know, shows like you see on Discovery Channel or History yeah. and Nat Geo. So I worked my way up to those shows. And they had
1: no money to spend on anything over there. No, not then. Yeah,
0: like they would do a a, a special two hour on
1: Christina Aguilera. Yeah, and they didn't get the rights to their music. Right. And then then you'd go to VH1. They'd have a half hour on her and have all the videos.
0: Well, guess where I went after E? Where is that? VH1. (laughs) Because I'm also a music lover, and I got to work on all these great specials. And I had free. I had access to all the music. I didn't have to worry about licensing. Was VH1 on Colorado? uh, Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, in the MTV Networks building. Yeah. And that was like their heyday, the early 2000s, when they were still about music. Mm -hmm. And they were putting out a lot of good programs. That was behind the music era. In fact, I, I, yeah, I shared an office space with them. And so that team and my team, we were doing shows together. It was a really good time to work on, on uh, music shows.
1: Yeah. Yeah. What was the issue with E? I well, feel like
0: what, they could have put a few bucks in their stuff if they wanted. But we if- called it E University when I was going there because they didn't pay very much. But that was OK because we were... Just these young bucks who were learning as we went along. Yep. And um, so we got to make mistakes, and you wouldn't get fired. They just, you know, you learn from it. They'd, or they put you on another show, like, hey, you want to work on a game show? I'm like, uh, sure. I don't have any experience, but well, it's, what, what the hell? Why not? What, so you got to work on different formats. What game did you work on? It was called Search Party. And- Search
1: Party, yes. <laughs> yeah. With uh, the guy from Wild On.
0: Uh, art man, art man. So I oversaw wild on for several years. What?
1: Blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Talk about burying the lead.
0: Yeah. I found Brooke Burke. You did? Yes. Through a manager, a, a swimsuit manager. Because i done. Okay. Hold
1: everything. Were you married at the time? No. Wasn't he a great place to be a single man? Yeah, it really was. Okay.
0: Enough. Yeah. Uh,
1: how did you find Brooke Burke?
0: Well, we had Jules Asner as the host at the time. We're now married. fantastic. To, uh, now married to Steve Soderbergh. She was a great host.
1: Absolutely. But
0: then they moved over to E! News. Which
1: and she was fine at. Which she
0: was fine at, yeah. She was kind of done. She and I had traveled a lot. Uh, that's one thing I will say. I had to like, tr- see the world on their dime. Because it Wild On, I would go all over the world in a pre-9-11 world. It was the go-go days of travel.
1: I was am great. so happy we ended up... Is this an Emmy on your show? Yeah, that's from
0: the USC film.
1: I just turned my head and here's a blah, blah, blah. Just an Emmy. Yeah. (laughs) Eh,
0: Whatever. We leave it to the, you know, kind of tucked away. But
1: So, okay. Now I'm going to be the nerd. Jules, or the dork. Jules
0: started with Wild On, right? Yeah. Did you discover her too? Well, she started with E! News doing reporting for them. Right. Because she had a journalism degree from UCLA. Very smart, very funny. Yes. And then- Great delivery too. Very dry wit. Great delivery. And she and I kind of like- we got a really good system going she was very producible and we became friends like i loved working with her and she was game to try anything and we came up with this formula to kind of work for the show and then they promoted me based on the shows that she and i was doing so i've heard a credit for how the show evolved into more than just like a TNA show it was i wanted to do storylines and bring more culture into it yeah um and my boss wanted that as well we just kind of found the, the secret sauce. And yeah. it, was, it was working with Jules and seeing the world through her eyes. Mm. So it gave it a nice narrative. And I was really bummed when she moved over to E-news and we we're back to square one and they, I was tasked with getting a new host. I'm like, oh, crap. We'll never fi- find someone as good as her. And they're like, well, you know, then find someone as easy on the eyes because I think the underlying message was a model would be okay. You know, someone who like is really... Uh, guys would want to tune in because this person's on TV. Right. And Jules was cute and everything, but let's face it. Brooke Burke was a playmate and everything, or became one. Yeah. But at the time she was just doing print ads. And, uh, I knew this one guy who worked, I'd done some shoots with this guy for some calendar shoots for wild on. His name was Lou Maggio. He's in Florida. And I called him up. I said, Lou, I've got a real problem here. I have to find a new host. We're doing an, a new show like a in, in a problem. <laughs> yeah, a real problem.
1: <laughs> I got to find a bikini girl.
0: Well, he said, and he, he kind of talked like uh, his voice was almost like uh, uh, Marlon Brando in The Godfather. <laughs> he, and he, he counseled me. He said, listen, I have, she's not a head turner. She's a head spinner. Wow. <laughs> yes. I still remember that term. And I said, well, <laughs> is she in Florida? No, she's out where you are. She's in L.A. I said let me meet her and i met her and she was very sweet very shy She'd never done anything on camera before Huh? because she just was a print model Huh? and she was probably in her mid-20s and um she was very game you know like sure like i thought she would be good as a correspondent not as the main host i right. thought she needed a lot of work and she and i i remember we went down to venice beach we went to muscle beach and we just did some interviews on the boardwalk and i had her do some mock stand-ups and things and i gave her some tips and everything And my boss felt, let's just throw her right into the frying pan. That's how he was then. And we had to leave for Spain to do Wild on Spain, like the next week. (laughs) He said, bring her along. You go with her. Really coach her. And let's also bring... This is really smart on his part. He said, bring Todd Newton, who Mm -hmm. was also... A host then who did right. a lot of work like Art Man. and yep. you know Todd would help break her in and, and make her feel comfortable. He's very funny, especially off camera. He just loosens you up. And talk about a voice on that guy! Great voice. Started as a radio guy, mm-hmm. and then went into after E, he hosted I think Price Is Right uh, or he he did some game show stuff. Yeah, yeah, maybe not Price Is Right, but other I stuff. I mean,
1: tall, handsome, perfect voice. Yeah. Why isn't he still on TV? Kind of. A-
0: he's got his own thing going now. Does he's he? a motivational speaker now. I can see it. Yeah, because yeah. he's a force of nature. He is. And so, if you look at that Wild on Spain show with her, you could see she's she's a little um, she's still finding finding her way. Yeah. But she was a really quick learner, and within a few months, she was the face of that show. The ratings went up, and the rest is history.
1: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Art Man as the 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 comedic relief on there.
0: Yeah. Great. I'm so glad you say that because I'm a big fan of his a lot of people didn't understand, like, what is it about this guy? He's just this goof. And to me, he represents the everyman. Yes. He's just like some dude who, like, walks into a bar. Right. It sounds like a joke. But, like, he even looks kind of funny, you know, but he looks... He's nothing special, <laughs> and that's what makes him relatable. I, I don't have my Hawaiian and, shirt on, but he's yeah. usually wearing, like, a Hawaiian shirt and shorts. Well, that's how he was when he walked in in his Hawaiian shirt. He was, like, he was... Um, a surrogate for the viewer. Yeah, like you could imagine yourself in his shoes because his the first words out of his mouth when he'd go somewhere I was like, "Whoa, check this out," <laughs> and so he was very relatable. It was Wild on a hit right away? Yeah, it it really worked its way up to it, especially when when Brooke was on it. But it was definitely the highest rated original show at E for years. the 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 highest often was was uh, Howard Stern, but that yeah. wasn't that was the televised radio show, right? And, um, and by the way, it was the highest rated show at 11 o'clock at night and at midnight. How? We would, no, no. Wild on wild it, sorry. On. Mm-hmm. We'd get numbers from 1 or 2 a.m. that were over a 1.0, which was a big deal then. It just in the after midnight, they would run the repeats and it was higher than anything in primetime on E.
1: Well, because you guys were teaching us about the world.
0: I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> we're doing our part.
1: There was a show on, um, on the Style Network that was based out of... Uh, uh, australia called getaway mm. did you tailor uh wild on after that at all no i i getaway never heard was of, kind it. of uh, it was kind of it without the bikinis okay um but but i gotta say though it i mean okay did you guys get any criticism for the tna aspect of wild on
0: if we did i didn't see it Really, I was never comfortable doing those types of shows. Like I hated doing like Wild on Spring Break. Yeah, I so by the time I was running the show as a supervising producer, I could dictate where I went in the world because I was still producing too. That's how he was. Yeah, I was not just like overseeing the season, which was up to eighteen episodes a year or fifteen or whatever. Yeah, but also having to go out in the field and do four or five of them. So I would pick. The places that were more cultural, ah. that were maybe more challenging. And I felt like I needed a seasoned producer to, to shoot wild on Bali, wild on Brazil or whatever, where it's not so obvious what is the hour show you're going to come back yeah. with. And I liked those challenges. What kind of a crew did you... We're going to get so nerdy on here. <laughs>
1: did you have just a sound guy and a camera guy? Yep.
0: That's and an it. AP. Four of us. That was it. The AP I would drive the van... And, really? Yeah, there'd be a camera guy, sound guy, and a guy assisting me. You know, an a assist associate producer.
1: How much? Um, how much footwork did you need before you go to Brazil?
0: Like, how- I, we'd have to do all our own research. It, it was on me and my associate producer. And we try to carve out what seven acts would look like, you know, an hour show. Oh. And I would try to work some storylines in there ahead of time that I could use with my host. Mm-hmm. But I don't always have my host for all eight or nine days of are shooting. It might be one or two that she drops in, so what? I have to get creative. Brooke,
1: Brooke didn't want to be there for the whole week. Well,
0: she would have to jet off somewhere else and do host wraps somewhere else, and she would stay sometimes a few days longer. But toward mm-hmm. the end, I can only get jeweled for a day or two because she was done with it. Yeah. Or she was moving over to e news or whatever. So, you had to really figure out which stories I really need my host for. Some of these um some of these
1: shoots that you would have were in like party places. Yeah. Did any of the drunk frat boys who were at these party places uh get in get out
0: of line with your beautiful host? Uh they tended to keep their distance. There were a few times actually wild on Spain, uh things got a little out of hand and and Todd actually stepped in todd's kind of a big guy todd yeah. newton yeah and uh he put a couple people in their place they were drunk Good. it was a big you know kind of bacchanal yeah. setting anyway uh new orleans with a little sketchy i did wild on mardi gras uh there was kind of a riot that broke out next to our van there was a guy who was pushed he was shoved up against our van window i still remember this we had a driver he's like you're gonna need a driver trust me i'm like oh, and i'll have a a car I, I thought i could do everything myself He's like, trust me. And we went through this one area of town and it was, there were like fires, trash cans on fires and people throwing rocks at cars and stuff. But they were having a good time, we were told. (laughs) But then a a skirmish, a fight broke out to our right and the guy like slammed into our car and the whole van like shook back and forth. And I look out my right mirror, out the right window, I was seated in the middle right area. I look out the window and there's a guy's face shoved up against the window with blood on it. And his face kind of dragged down the window so it left a streak of blood. I'm looking at his teeth and his lips. And he's like kind of bug-eyed looking at me as he's like drifting beneath the window and there's a guy pummeling him. I'm like, let's get the hell out of here. And the guy like our driver blew through a red light. So there were some like sketchy moments, but people were pretty respectful. What was the budget of a, a shoot like that like New Orleans? Uh, we're talking under fifty thousand for the right. whole, for the whole show, right? For the, for the whole week. Look, CE, someone, if you worked there, yep. you know, you know that they would had a lot of staff people. So it's I don't know how you figure a budget in when you're paying people a weekly salary. Uh, I guess anyway.
1: what I'm asking is, um, if it, your budget at the location, you're not staying at the fanciest right.
0: hotels, right? Uh you'd be surprised, really. Good and we for were flying you. first class a lot. Were you because really? we got trade outs. So often we'd shoot a 20-second scene of our host walking through the lobby of the hotel, and they would spring for the rooms. This was a different era. Was this your idea? We all figured it out after a while, how to work the system. What, do you, mean it, what like, do you mean it was a different era? They, they wouldn't do well, that today? I don't think so. There's just so many hoops you have to go through now. I would just call the hotel and make my own deal. And I wouldn't even go through ad sales or any department at E!, Later, they're like, you have to go through us if you need to do these trade-outs. You can't shoot there because there's, you know, Pepsi signs and Cokes and appetizer oh. Like, there are numerous things we weren't thinking of. We were just shooting from the hip, right? Right. Or I would call Qantas because we were flying to Australia. I'm like, hey, if we shoot our host on your plane, looking out the window, and just we see the Qantas signage, can we—do you think we can get comp tickets? And they'd say, sure. Right. And so we'd fly first class. This is how it ought to be. This is how it used to be. But, Not now. But what Everybody wins in the old way. Who sure. loses? Uh. I mean, maybe E could argue. People we, whose job it is to tell you no—that's who loses. Good. <laughs> Forget them,
1: because it ruins everything. Yeah. Why isn't there, Why isn't there a wild on today?
0: I don't think. Uh, looking back, some of the shows are very cringeworthy now. Are they? Yeah, I think that it's it objectifies a lot of women and men. It sexualizes people in a way that. Um, were, I don't think you could do now. Like but body was, shots at a bar.
1: Is there something wrong with me that? I don't, No, it's. Everybody's having a good time. Yeah.
0: I mean, look, I suppose there's not also because you can access this information anywhere you want online now on social media. Yeah. Like it's not special anymore at the time. It was oh, no one else was doing that. I hear what you're saying. Right. And so like even travel channel, one of the compliments we got was travel channel wrote a memo to their employees that they made they needed to make their shows more like E's wild on show because that's just a, looks like a fun show and their shows back then were very stodgy yes a lot of voiceover um not sexy right and someone who worked there shared a memo with someone on on our team and said look they want to emulate us yeah and so that's when i knew we we're on to something but then everyone was doing it we're in a wild on world now let's face it <laughs>
1: Recently, you did a thing on black quarterbacks that I'd love to talk to you about for Vice. Sure. Um, I am a black person and of a certain age where I grew up without very many black quarterbacks. The myth back then were if you were a really good black quarterback in college, fine, but we're going to try to transition you to wide receiver or uh, a cornerback uh, beyond defense. Yes. Because because you're black, you're fast, obviously. You're a
0: good athlete, clearly. You're a good athlete. Yeah.
1: Um, but you just don't have what it takes to to understand the NFL playbook. Meanwhile, uh, Terry Bradshaw is no road scholar. <laughs> He's yep. got plenty of rings. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so eventually things slowly changed. I think Warren Moon was probably the first really really good like full time mm-hmm. black yes. quarterback. Um, what did you learn doing this documentary about black quarterbacks?
0: Well, I learned a couple things. Yes. What you're saying is absolutely true that a lot of black quarterbacks who were stars in college were then pressured to change positions when they got to the NFL because quarterbacks were a thinking man's position, uh, (laughs) you know, much like pitchers. Uh, you might remember in the late eighties, early nineties, whenever it was when Al Campanis went on Nightline. And said, one reason you don't have a lot of black pitchers is, uh, you know, they lack the necessities that white pitchers have. That kind of like dog whistle was used for the NFL also. Yeah. And Warren Moon should have changed all of that. And it didn't really change much after he retired or as his career went on. You still didn't see, even though he was a Super Bowl winner, uh, you didn't see a lot of successful black quarterbacks. And it took a while for that to, to finally take. Yeah. And the other thing I learned is the double standard that you could have white quarterbacks and if they weren't that good they, they had many chances to get good tons yeah <laughs> they were never good some of these guys right and they would just keep playing and um <laughs> it's almost like women directors have a shorter leash than some male directors right. you know that's that's been kind of argued right and you kind of saw this in the nfl these patterns of black players had to be amazing out of the gate and even then it wasn't guaranteed that you would have a long career. You and always had to it, prove yourself.
1: And the broadcasters were also racist because if you had a mobile quarterback,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, Frank Tarkenton was a white mobile quarterback, and he mm-hmm. was great. Mm-hmm. He never the way that the way the black quarterbacks who who scrambled the same way, yeah, were presented on television were wow, that's, that's really uh, an unusual style, right. Joe. Meanwhile, Frank Targerton's running around like right. his head's cut off. And <laughs> you're like, look at that.
0: Look at how spunky he is. Yes. Look at how
1: scrappy he is. And it's like, we're watching the same game, fellas. Right.
0: Yeah, and uh, there's also, you have to factor in that a lot of these uh, towns or cities, let's say Dallas, the owners would argue like, look, we'd love to have black quarterbacks, more of them, but... Look at our fan base. It's largely white. And people identify with the face of the franchise, which is the quarterback. Mm. Now, to their credit, Dallas Cowboys have had black quarterbacks. Right. um, But that was the thinking of a lot of cities, um, Mm -hmm. especially in the South, that, you know, we don't want to disenfranchise our fan base, and that's Mm -hmm. less money in our pockets. I I don't know if that's ever been proven, by the way. That's just what they said. Right. So I don't think it would have mattered. Clearly, it didn't seem to. NFL's made plenty of money. (laughs) Yes.
1: Even with bad teams. Mm -hmm. And... And that's the interesting thing to me about Colin Kaepernick is racism, racism is interesting if you are um, not super duper rich, Mm -hmm. but when you're super duper rich, you might just be racist and have a bad football team or, or not as good of a football team right? because you got, you still got to go to the country club. I mean, one reason Lou Brock was traded off of the Cubs was because they already had Ernie Banks and Billy Williams. And, and I think it was uh, PK Wrigley, the owner, was, was kidded at his, his club. Mm. Oh, you got Lou Brock? Were you going to have an all-black team at some point? And so they just gave him away for nothing. Wow. And, and back then, well, you own Wrigley chewing gum. You have all the money in the world. What do you care about this baseball team? Yeah. But you do want to be respected at the country club.
0: Right. And amongst your peers. But
1: Jerry Jones, I think, is a different guy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: He wants to he wants win. To win. <laughs> so yeah. he'll have whoever's going to help him win. Yes. So back to Kaepernick and these mediocre quarterbacks, it seems like the owner class of the NFL is also super duper rich. Now, with TV contracts, they're even more rich. Um, have you seen the Oakland Raiders' um, owner's house in Vegas? No. Looks like a spaceship. It's giant. They they seem to be more willing to have mediocre teams and and stick with this old school thinking that black quarterbacks just can't do it
0: as well as Roger Staubach could. Uh-huh.
1: And they're willing to
0: not make the playoffs over See, it. See, that why are you own a team then at that point. Status? I guess so. But and, see, and it's a club of thirty right, you know, and that's kind of cool, I guess I'd rather win, yeah and winning also it's gonna put more money in your pocket so it's a, to me it's a short-sighted philosophy mm-hmm. if that's the case
1: uh, uh other than Kaepernick, were there other black quarterbacks that we should know about that were treated unfairly by the NFL
0: um there were, I'd have to watch the show again. I mean, there were so many people we interviewed. Mm-hmm. Um, it really, the the common denominator amongst all of them was people who weren't given a chance when others, white players were. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were considered, as you said, like maybe they didn't play within the system. Yeah. When really they just had a style that worked for them and that was successful, but it didn't fit into this neat box that the offensive coordinators wanted. So... Often, rather than playing to a player's strengths, um, Warren Moon's a good example of that, uh, when, when they join a team out of college, they have to almost reverse engineer themselves to fit the offensive game plans of the team, rather than the team catering to the strengths of that quarterback. Now, maybe that's changed now, but that, that seemed like another common thread amongst a lot of guys who, they were not put in a position to succeed because of that reason
1: well and, and and i would say the majority of black quarterbacks that made it to the nfl made it as quarterbacks because they could do things that the white quarterbacks couldn't do right like run yeah you know or throw the ball 50 yards yeah i mean michael vick love him or hate him super duper athlete yeah tough too mm-hmm. you know and um um and so to your point you build a a a a playbook around a mobile quarterback.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, it'd be like having a, a basketball player, right. Who, uh, like you, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, we've talked about before this. Um, and, and just having him be like a forward not put him at center right. and, and to take out the sky hook. And, you know, you need to run <laughs> up and down with everybody else rather than, tr- you know, play to the guy's skill set. And then that's how you maximize your offense.
1: L.A. nerd, L.A. dork. Yeah, I I don't like the
0: word dork. Yeah, it's well, it's a it's a it's a term that I grew up with, so it's seemed okay, natural. Fine. I, guess, I guess it separates me from the pack. It sure does. Everyone's a nerd, right? A nerd now is an affectionate term for someone who knows their stuff. A dork is 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 once removed. It's someone who might be a nerd like to the nth degree, and that's a dork. That's what I am what is your expertise
1: within knowing a lot of stuff about la do you have a sub dorkness is it the trails is it the freeways
0: Uh, yeah it's um yeah i mean you know look i'm being a little facetious like i don't think i bring that much more to the table than other people who are curious about la who grew up here who have their own um niche or they have the benefit of growing up in the city and and are interested in its past right that's really what it comes down to. So I feel like I have this catalog in my head of thousands of different places to go. And and I know every part of the city very well. That's another thing I bring to the table, I guess, because you'd mentioned earlier, you're just discovering the valley, right? Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, I feel like much of the city, because I grew up in different areas or hung out in different areas and and then got to know them just through researching my books uh, or friends who lived in different parts of town or going to those restaurants or trying different hikes. At some point, you're almost in, just out of curiosity, I would f- seek these places out. So I, th- I guess that that is just something that I bring to the table. But I'm still learning every day. Would you
1: have you been approached to do like a tour book or um, a YouTube video series or anything
0: like that? People who have the 10,000 steps a day in L.A. book many times have said, why don't you do a uh, an app? Where you can listen once a week, and I'll take you through, you know, kind of recording of like where to go, when to make a right turn, eat over here, try this trail. I, I guess that's something that, you know, would be cool to have. I've never, I'm always like interested in what's the next thing. And so for me, I'm always, I want to move on to whatever the next project is. I want to create a Wild On Los Angeles
1: starring you and Allison Martino. I love her. What do you think of that? I would do that. Uh, Pat Morrison can be part of this too. (laughs) Who else should be part of
0: this crew? Wow. Well, you should be part of it. I mean, certainly. I I got
1: this for 14 years. I'm I'm booked.
0: Okay. Damn. (laughs) And I don't look so good in a bikini.
1: Is there anybody else that we should be thinking about? Because Allison is somebody that I think is not on enough people's radars.
0: Allison Martino's great. uh, Nathan Masters from KCET. Oh. He does the Lost LA oh. shows and he also writes for kcet.org. I would bring him to that lunch bring or that wild on lunch. shoot everyone do. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know how he looks in a speedo, but that's up to him. <laughs> um yeah, so I would I would say him and um I don't know, like there's
1: there's not a lot for the, a lot. the city Who's is. Who's
0: the person? It's it's Rachel. Is that who does Avoiding uh, Regret, who which LAist or um she, I think she works now for LAist, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken. It's, her Rachel. website is avoidingregret.com. And she does a lot of off the beaten path okay. stories. All right. I don't know if her name's Rachel. I could be wrong. But she's someone who I would throw in there.
1: Awesome. Yeah. If it's not, we'll edit it out. Okay. Thank you so much for having me here today. You're going to be super dad and pick up your child right now. Just fantastic. There's no school buses in LA.
0: Yeah, you know, there are, uh, but not where my, uh, we live so close to our schools and my kids can walk home, but they're just lazy. Oh, so I'm just being a good dad.
1: You're not the only, I got friends who, <laughs> whose kids will be talking for an hour and they're, they're being texted the whole time. It's like, you could have been home by now.
0: <laughs> exactly. Come pick me up. Come pick me up. You could have walked home, but you know what? I'm, I'm not on a show right now on a TV show. And while I'm here, I, I don't have my kids for that much longer in the house. In fact, I my my oldest is starting college in the fall. So, I'm okay doing the dad stuff now right. because my days are numbered with that. Which college? UCLA. What? Yeah.
1: You people who want to stay in LA all in my L.A. Mind. And
0: she wanted to leave LA. She's like, I want to go somewhere else and that was the best school she got into, so she's going to take it. It's a pretty great school. Yeah, it was hard to say no. I mean, you should be proud. We are. We're very proud
1: the the acceptor- and, and
0: she by the way I want to yeah the acceptor rate's like 1 in yeah. 11 or 1 in 9 or something but she went to a public high school she went to Marshall high and so I'm very proud of her for that for making again like we said earlier high school is what you make of it and she made a lot out of it
1: so I've only heard great things about Marshall
0: Yeah and they have a really good like accelerated um student program or whatever they call it she kind of fell into that crowd, took a lot of AP courses. Mm -hmm. That helps your GPA. And I think it helped that she went to a school where 55% of the students come from households that are English as a second language. Really? It's considered a more urban high school, and the UC system looks fondly at those schools. So that probably helped her for admission. You ever go to the uh, uh,
1: the flea market? Yeah, all the time. I'm kind of shocked at how great it is. It's pretty great. I mean, because... You go anywhere else and they're like vintage t-shirts. It's like yeah. one Led Zeppelin t-shirt and like a bunch <laughs> of other crap. Almost everything there is fantastic.
0: Yeah, it's one of the well-kept secrets.
1: Are your kids into vintage clothes, into thrifting, all that? Big time. That's a thing, huh?
0: It's a thing. And my daughter's favorite place probably to go to is the Goodwill on San Fernando Road in Glass Park because it's a Goodwill outlet store. And what that means is you could, you can pick a whole heap of clothes, right? She, she has like a mountain... Of vintage clothes and shoes. You could barely, she probably can't even see over this giant mound that she carries to the cashier. And you dump it onto a scale and they weigh your clothes and that's how they determine what your price is. What kind of music are your kids listening to? A lot of cool stuff. I mean, like a lot of newer things, but also a lot of vintage music, stuff from the 80s and 90s, 70s even. Um, they have good taste, I have to say. They turn me on to new stuff all the time.
1: I because I ask because I hear the kids today kind of don't like current music as much like they'll listen to the TikTok songs right but for the most part they they're not
0: into it i, I have to agree that like most of what my daughter listens to is stuff that is uh f- from f- from before she was born um or you know like when she was you know little or whatever it's not always current stuff like she just went to uh the concert in pasadena that was um
1: yeah uh what was that uh, morrissey and yeah it was morrissey Debo,
0: Bauhaus, blondie yeah you know and and these are bands i grew up with and then right. you grew up with and she loved it she wanted to go and so she went she checked them all out and she wasn't born you know before any of these bands started
1: are they going to coachella your kids
0: no not so far but that could change you know depending maybe on maybe college time yeah Paul, this has been a blessing. Tony, thank you so much. This so was a nice real pleasure. You. I loved it. Thank you very much. Right on.
1: How great was Paul? You know who we'd skip rocks with in Mayberry? Our Patreons. When you stoke us, you're helping this rocket ship of love break through Earth's restrictive gravity pull and help us jet off into the stratosphere. Every donation you hand over helps us keep this insane project a-rolling. So shout out to our Patreons, Nancy Rommelman, Sean Atlow, Matt Mills, Sean Wallace, Greg and Molly, Jamie Taylor, Mark Johnson, Kira Ann, Barney Grinky, Ben Welsh, Henry Furman, Jen Adams, The Lonely Chair, Trevor Wilson, Bree Wild, Dougie Gyro, Christina, and Robin Carey. Wanna hear your name at the end of next week's show? Go to patreon.com slash hereinLA and give till it hurts. Also, shout out to our Angelinos. To be an Angelino, all you gotta do is PayPal 25 bucks or more, no big whoop. And we will list you on the Here in L.A. website. That, uh, is it gonna ever happen, this website? It probably will. It's mostly done. I just, I, it, it'll be there. But in the meantime, it'll be on the uh, Medium uh, website. It'll be there, don't worry. We love you and we thank you. You'll also be given a number to denote how early you got in to make this dream come alive. For example, Angelina One is the delightful Allie Miller. Number two, the amazing George Wright. Number three, the very shy Rita Joanne. Number four, the even shyer Jason Sutter. Number five, uh, Grant Houghton. Hi, Grant. Number six, Rob Baker. Oh my God, God bless you. Number seven is Kev Chang. Number eight, Brenda Garcia. And number nine, John Griffiths. Just PayPal your hard-earned cash to busblog at gmail.com and uh, know that you are doing something good. Want to support us, but you're paying off your kids' college bills? Hold on. Interested in money laundering, but uh, don't know where to store all your money? Well, first of all, you shouldn't be money laundering, but if you need a place to store it, busblog at gmail.com. Is this even legal? Want to support us, but you're paying off your kids' college bills? You can still help. Actually, you really shouldn't money launder. It's not good. Ozark is a fantastic show. Don't money launder. I take it all back. Strike that from the record. But if you do have extra cash that's just burning a hole in your pocket, just uh, busblog at gmail.com on PayPal. Want to help us, but your kids are in college and it's draining you dry? You can still help post your favorite episode on Facebook. Oh my God, post two. Have I even seen, I guess, I guess Linda has posted two. There's a few people who've posted two episodes. This is this is episode 60. <laughs> if we haven't made two episodes that you want to post on your Facebook and you've made it down this far into the podcast, don't be shy. Your friends wouldn't mind if you said, these are two of my favorite episodes. Just post it. See what happens. If you want, you can tweet something nice about us. Anytime you see me tweet something. uh, By the way, we even have a Here in L.A. uh, Twitter account now. So you can follow that. It's uh, hereinla.com. you can follow us and you can retweet uh, anything you see on the Here in L.A. Twitter. It's it's nice. I think we have uh, a couple hundred people following us. It's very amazing how quickly that grew. Uh, so thank you. Tell your friends how Here in L.A. is spelled, and it's on Apple Podcasts and Google and even Spotify. Here in L.A. is produced by myself, Tony Pierce. Hello. And a man who's pretty wild on himself, Mr. Jordan Katz. Hello. Editing, mixing, and music supervision by Jordan Katz. Songs by Orgone and Jordan Katz. Special thanks to Cindy, lovely Cindy, for creating the logo and always uh, inspiring us in many ways. Thank you to Jen for initially inspiring this in Oz and Kim's backyard. And everyone out there who watches their hometowns change and embraces it instead of complaining, bless you. The only
0: constant is change.